the poet E.E. Uh, e. Cummings had a great line in a poem that said, always the beautiful answer who asks a more beautiful question. And I think our world isn't very full of beautiful questions. Uh, questions are, are interesting. They reveal curiosity. Uh, and, and at some point in childhood, we tend to stop asking really good questions. You know who, where good questions aren't asked? Interviews. You been to any interviews for a job lately? It's like they're always the same. It's like, what's your greatest strength? What's your greatest weakness? What do you see yourself doing in five years? Why are you a good fit for this job? I don't know why I'm a good fit. Why are you better than the other candidates? Well, I don't know the other candidates. I have no idea. Where do I want to be in five years not answering these questions? <laughs> questions come all the time. They come pouring at us, and half the time we get a question, it's like, I, I don't know, or that's not a question I want to answer. Because questions are hard, and questions are important parts of different jobs. Like within the counseling profession, uh, motivational interviewing is a great way to work with someone. Uh, my wife, Laura, is an executive coach, and that's about doing what, what is referred to as active inquiry. Right? It's a way of drawing things out of people that maybe they already know, but through the right questions, they can come to a great solution on their own. Questions. My wife is a great question asker, therefore, in our home. Questions like, so when are you going to finish that project? <laughs> now, she asks really good questions beyond that. And my normal response is, well, I was going to, and the question it ends there. You were going to. Everything's I was going to. Uh, as a dad, with my kids growing up, I wasn't the best question asker. Most questions as a dad of young kids are things like, what were you thinking? <laughs> Why did you do that? Right? And the greatest question of all, huh? And that happens throughout scripture. Huh. The disciples often asked, huh, when they were interacting with Jesus. I just don't get it. And so then we start thinking about and pondering what I think is really important, which is the questions that Jesus asked. And David referred to one earlier in our, our prayer time, right? This, this great question that Jesus asked, and, and the scenario of that was when they were walking down the road, and two of his disciples, uh, James and John, came to him and said, Jesus, we would like you to do whatever we ask. And he says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And their response was this, this thing about sitting on your right or left in your glory. What they were really were saying was, in, in your kingdom, can we have really cool jobs? And then just a little bit further in the story, a blind man, Bartimaeus, came to Jesus, and Jesus asked him the same question, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said, I want to see and if we looked at that whole passage of Scripture, we would see that that was the conclusion of a sequence of teaching where Jesus was trying to express to his disciples that they needed to have spiritual sight and spiritual ears. And so when he says, I want to see, he was really saying, I want to change. And then another question. This was the story of the woman who had been sick for 12 years with a bleeding condition. And, and, and she ventured out when she heard Jesus going by, thinking this was her last hope. And she reached out to touch him, and she was healed. And Jesus said, who touched me? Now, there's a question. And this is a woman who had risked everything in that culture of being unclean to go out and be around people and touch him. She didn't want to be known but who touched me? That question was really a statement of being known. Being known to God. Right? And, and so that was a, a question with an interesting answer. 
He asked another question once. He said, who do people say I am? And the disciples said, well, some say you're like a prophet. You're Elijah. And he says, well, who do you say I am? What a great question that we all need to ponder. Who do you say I am? And Peter steps forward and says, you're the Christ or you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's a good answer. But then immediately, Peter went through this scenario where he, 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 he got after Jesus for who Jesus was. And I think Jesus' response to him was, well, you gave the right answer, but you really don't know what that word means yet. So how we answer the questions of Jesus are really important because there's always something deeper in the question. And we're looking at a scripture passage today in the book of John that asks another question. Right, so let's read that passage. It's found in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So let's, let's step into this story. Right? It's always important to step into the story and, and see what it's about back then, and then kind of pull back and say, well, what's going on now? What are the implications for us in that? And so this passage takes place in a much bigger setting that really was about defining who Jesus is. Right? It was setting up his, his identity uh, to be known to John's readers and audience. Who is this Jesus? But in the middle of it, there is this scenario. And it says that Jesus was going through a place called the Sheep's Gate and, and came to this place called Bethesda, and it was a pool. And archaeologists actually excavated this pool area back in the 1900s. So it was a physical, actual place about the size of a football field. It said it had five covered colonnades, porches, and it said a bunch of people used to lie there, people who were paralyzed and invalid and ill. And there's a verse that shows up in some old manuscripts of the Bible, but not the oldest ones that are most reliable. And there was a little gap here that if you were following along, it skipped to verse 5 and skipped over verse 4, because verse 4 kind of had this parenthetical statement that once again doesn't show up in the best, most reliable manuscripts in the New Testament that says basically something like, from time to time, the Spirit would stir the water, and whoever got into the pool first was healed. Now, there's a reason I think that was left out of the best manuscripts, because it was probably a legend. 
But all these people gathered, and this would have been Jews and Gentiles alike from all over that region, because if you've heard some inkling of hope, you'll show up. Now, I want us to kind of get back, uh, get away from what could be really a very sterile reading of a passage, of a story, an interaction that Jesus was in. Because we can read it and gloss over things, just say, well, there was this pool, people thought they could get healed, and they all kind of sat around waiting for it. Now, imagine. This guy that, that interacted with Jesus said he had been paralyzed for 38 years. We know nothing about him. We don't know if he was 38 years old and born paralyzed. We don't know if he was injured or had an illness that caused him being paralyzed. We don't know if he was there every day or not. All we know that he had been there often. And he was paralyzed. Needing the care of others to get him there. He may have lived there as a homeless person. We don't know. He would have been in a place where people could um, give money because he was begging. And I imagine in this surrounding with this many people who were in that kind of condition, waiting and hoping for something that happened that would change their life, this was a noisy place. It was a smelly place. It was a tough place. And into that, Jesus walks and sees this man and asks the question, do you want to be well? And my first response is, well, duh. He, he's been this way for 38 years. Of course he wants to be well. Why wouldn't he want to be well? And so Jesus looks at this man and says, do you want to be well? And what does the guy do? He says, I've been here a long time, and I'm never able to get into the water in time. Somebody beats me to it. That, that kind of sounds like an excuse. It, it's like, well, it's not my fault. It's like, yeah, sure, I'd like to be well, but there is a prescribed way of being well, and it's over there in the water. And I don't have any money to get me there. And so somebody beats me to it as we wait for this spontaneous momentous moment that sometimes happens when the water stirs. Like I said, I think this is a legend that, well, we heard about somebody once that this happened because otherwise this would be this enormous thing. Why would you be sitting way back where you can't get in? You would be right there waiting for whenever that moment was. But you're back here. Well, why is that? This is the life I know. This is the life that's become normal for me. And sometimes our pain and our situation and our circumstance, as painful as it is and as hard as it is, it becomes what we know and we get to the place of saying acceptance. Well, this is what it is. And so this place there as a beggar, as uh, someone who's paralyzed and has been that way for 38 years, probably surrounded by his only friends who are also in the same kind of situation. Maybe somebody brings them in each day to wait, and it's like, hey, Bob, how you doing? Good to see you. Well, we'll see if anything happens. And then, oh, hey, was that the water that stirred? Oh, well, no, tomorrow. Because we're used to this. We're used to our pain so much that we don't know what normal is. We don't know what growth is. We don't know what change is, because this is what we know. I think underlying Jesus' question of, do you want to be well? is a deeper question that might go something like, do you want to be well or are you comfortable in your misery? Ouch. Because deep down, if we answer the question, do you want to be well, I might be comfortable in my misery. And so in that regard, I don't really, 
wanted, unless something happens the right way, if somebody can get me to that water. And notice that Jesus didn't take the man to the water. He spoke to him to change his reality. When I was in college, I was in a men's service honorary group called the Centurions. And we used to go do service projects around the city of Seattle. And one service project we did required hazmat suits and lots of disinfectant because we were going to clean out a woman's house who was a hoarder and had I don't know how many living cats or dead cats in the midst of piles of things. And it was all you could do to step in there and clean things out. And, and it was, I've been around other people in that kind of situation and, and it's devastating because that's become their normal and they don't know there's something else that's normal. And, and so you enter into these places and it's, it just hits you deep that somebody could live in that kind of way for so long that can't even see beyond that and don't even see it anymore, potentially. This is the reality. And so he says, do you want to be well? And man gives an excuse. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. And it says the man did that, and he, he went walking. And, and sure enough, if you're in a situation, you've been in a place where you've wanted to make a change, you've wanted to grow, and by gum, I am going to change who I am and how I do things. And the minute he goes walking down the street, he's confronted. Like, okay, this is my new life now. And these guys say, where are you going with that mat? You're breaking the Sabbath law. Who told you to do that? They they didn't notice the guy is walking. It's just you're breaking the Sabbath law. He was hit right in the front, confronted right then about his new change, his new life. And he said, I I don't know who healed me. This this guy told me to take, take my mat and walk, and I did. And then later in the, the temple, Jesus saw him and said, basically stop sinning or worse things will happen. And that was the end of the story. I think we need to understand when Jesus said stop sinning or worse things will happen, that wasn't wasn't a threat. That was a recognition of reality, that if you fall back into what this life was before, of being comfortable in what that normal was, it'll probably be even worse because it'll just keep compounding and compounding Do you really want to be well? If I were to categorize and bring that guy's experience into my life, my time, and Jesus says, do you want to be well? This guy basically said, well, yeah, but it's it's as soon as this happens. As soon as I can get to the water, I'll be well. So the answer, do you want to be well, was yes, as soon as dot, dot, dot. And all of us have those things. I want to be well, Jesus, but, it, but right now my work is kind of hard, and so there's not really a lot of space. And so as soon as my job gets a little flow and things even out and, and my schedule frees up, then that would be a good time to pursue and to grow and to change. Or as soon as, as, soon as that guy apologizes to me for what he did, then I will be free to grow. As soon as this relationship is okay, as soon as I... Dot, dot, dot. We all have our answer. 
I want to change, I want to grow, I want to be way well, but here's the criteria that that's going to require. A certain path for me, a certain openness, a certain time where that will work. Because the present circumstance won't work for that. As soon as. I find myself in that place. I find myself holding on to things that have happened, that have been a reality, that are a circumstance, that that's my excuse. See, if we really want to change, if we really want to be well, if we want to grow, we got to want it. We have to be willing to step out. We have to be willing to abandon all kinds of things. Because think about this guy's life again. What is this real story? When Jesus says, do you want to be well? That's not that simple of a question. Because for 38 years, this is the only life this guy has known. If I'm truly well, if I don't come to this place, on this porch, by this pool, every day, what else am I going to do? This is where my friends are. This is all I know. This is where I beg. These are my relationships. This pool, although I've never seen anybody healed in it, that's my hope. So when you say, do you want to get well, you're really saying, do you want to change? Are you really willing to abandon that and step into something new? Step into life. The life that Jesus promises. An abundant life doesn't mean the circumstances completely change, but who we are changes in them. Do you want to be well? Well, yeah, but I'd like it on my terms. Do you want to be well is an incredibly profound question. Because it means being willing to walk away from what we think and know is normal and into who Jesus calls us to be. Think about some of those things. It's, sometimes it's hard to talk about growth. It's like, God, I want to grow. Well, what does that look like? Some of the things I tend to gravitate towards when I think about growth are, growth are things like um, the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so we might say, well, well I'm going to grow, so Jesus make me more patient. But I really, if I want to grow intentionally and I want it, I need to ask myself questions. Like, what's the reason I'm not more patient? What are the things about my character that get in the way of me being a person of compassion? What are the things about me that are hindering that? What are those things where I say, as soon as something gets better then... I can address it. Those are harder questions. It's easy to spout off things. Lord, I want to be more joyful. What about me is stopping that joy from being played out? Or we think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? So growth would be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is it about me? It doesn't hunger for that. Lord, reveal that to me. Show that to me. How, I can, how can I step into that? Those are great questions that are all about growth and change and being well. A couple weeks ago, Carl challenged all of us to participate in what we at Centennial are calling the growth challenge. 
And asking those kind of questions is part of that. In fact, my wife Laura has done a couple of videos that some of the, the kind of preview cohorts went through, and some of them may have watched these videos, and one of them is asking yourself those questions. What does it mean to say, I want to be well? How do we, how do we engage that? Do you want to be well? If I were really bringing it down then, so we have all these things, we want to grow, you have to want it. And sometimes when we start stepping into growth, we get confronted with things that push back on us right away. It isn't all easy sailing. Do you want to be well? And what I, I think, I'll, I'll step out on a limb here and say the most spiritual action we will engage today is making choices. Choices. This man in this moment with Jesus had a choice. Do you want to be well? You can step into that. Or you can back away and say, yeah, as soon as something is better. And then we realize that the most spiritual thing we can engage in is making choices. And then we realize that choices happen in moments. Any single moment is an opportunity for a choice. And most important moments rarely come when it's convenient. Lord, I thought I was on this path. I thought things were going smoothly this way. And now there's this choice I have to make that was not in my plan. It's inconvenient, and sometimes we go about our day-to-day -day mundane life. Our schedule is packed full of things, and it kind of irritates us when an opportunity for something miraculous or extraordinary comes because I might be a little comfortable in what I see as normal. And this is going to mess up my routine. We're unprepared for what is ahead because we're stuck in a moment that's behind us. I'd thought about playing the music video of a U2 song called Stuck in a Moment, which is a great video. The American version is like this football player. He's a kicker, and he's in the most important championship game of his life, and he kicks the ball, and it hits the upright and bounces out. And, and his whole life after that was spent remembering that moment when it hit the up, upright and they lost the game. And he could never get past it. He was stuck in this moment, stuck in this past time, and he could not get out of it. And we're unprepared for what lies ahead if we just keep staying stuck in this moment. This man confronted by Jesus, do you want to be well? He was willing to be stuck. Because I guess things weren't painful enough. You get used to it. We spend so much energy reliving the past moment that we relinquish the future possibility. Every moment has potential. No matter what happened before, the moment is waiting that will give life. In fact, the only choices that can live are the ones that are made. Right? Time will eat up the choices that went unmade. Jesus, in his wisdom and compassion and love for this man, didn't just leave it at, well, the guy says when he gets in the water, things will be good. Good luck with that. No, he stepped into his life. He said, get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. Walk in a new life. Walk in the hope that Jesus brings. So what prevents us from that? What prevents us from, you got to want it? 
and stepping into it. I think they're just a couple of things. One is that we're comfortable with the familiar. Right, we're used to it. This is what we know. And we pray, God, give me patience, make me more compassionate, help me love people more. But are we asking ourselves what stops that from happening? And how do we step into that? And I think the other thing is we deep down have a fear of abandoning things. Because we're called to abandon those. He was, he was called to abandon all he knew. Because that's what growth entailed. Abandoning that. Abandoning comfort. We, we are afraid of our co- losing comfort. We're afraid of, of maybe losing what we know is a predictable schedule. This is how things work. This is what I do. We're afraid of abandoning a career. But we've said that's what defines us. We're afraid of abandoning money or possessions or security or a need for control or a need for certainty. All those kind of things will hold us and stop us from wanting it. You have to want it. Do you want to be well? It's a moment with a choice. Reminds me of Moses' words to the people of Israel. When he looked at them and he said, presented before you is life and death. Choose life. Step into life. That's what God has called us to, and that's who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is life. He is light. He is truth. All those things are a person, and that person is Jesus. In an intimate relationship where he, the God of the universe looks at me and says, Dale, do you want to be well? He says, Centennial Covenant Church, do you want to be well? Yes, as soon as, bad answer, yes, and I'm going to step into it, and if that means leaving behind what I know as normal and comfortable, I will do it because it's better, and it's abundant, and it's full. The question, do you want to be well, the other question we talked about, what do you want me to do for you? Those are the most important questions. And they're the questions to which we most often give the wrong answer. Choose life. Choose growth. Choose change. You gotta want it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word through John to us of Jesus interacting with one person among hundreds around a pool, all had wishful thinkings about how things might take place in their life and might make them better. And then they could move forward, and then they could grow. Lord, you meet each of us in that place, because I know in my life I have, I have things that if they were to play out the way I think they should, then life would be great. And you ask the question, Dale, do you want to be well? Lord, I want to answer well, which is I am not content just with I have defined as normal. I do not want to keep living with a pain that I I guess I'm comfortable in. But I want to know you. 
I know your power and your love and your mercy and your compassion and the way you want to mold us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. We trust you in that process and we're willing to leave it all to join you in what you're doing in our lives and around us. Father, thank you for this word. It's hard because what sounds like a simple question is profoundly deep. And we pray this in the name of Jesus who gave his life, sacrificed everything, gave up being uncomfortable to give us hope and life. Amen.